This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You have to be optimistic. This is to say, I don't say you, we ignore what's going on. It's just that we have to be optimistic in order to solve these problems. If you go into any sort of problem with the predisposition that it cannot be solved, that you'll never get there, then you won't solve it. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science. Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. Rules and and ethics and everything else. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show. So if you want to be on the show, and of course, I hope you do, please go to askbillnye.com and type on in and tell us what's on your mind. And I say us. You know why I say us? Because I am joined once again by science writer, editor, and dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Salutations to you, Bill. Yes. Today, we are talking about how to talk about climate change with someone who is very well-versed in this topic. He is a climatologist, a geophysicist, and the director of the Earth System Science Center at Pennsylvania State University. Welcome to Science Rules, Dr. Michael Mann. Uh, Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks, guys. It's great to be with you. Now, Mike, you started out as, if I may, a scientist, but how much of your time is devoted these days to communicating the dangers of climate change versus researching climate change? I mean, is this... Is this consuming you? Is it a burden? It's a burden. I mean, I spend most of my time talking to guys like you. And so it's really, uh, it, no, it's, uh, it's actually uh, delightful to have the opportunity to, to talk with you guys to be part of this exciting new podcast. Um, and indeed, <laughs> it, is, uh, it is what I um, you know, spend a lot of my time doing these days. It's not what I signed up for when I double majored in applied math and physics at UC Berkeley uh, back in the 1980s. Applied math and physics? You were studying like Bose-Einstein condensates or something like that? I, I was. I was doing theoretical condensed matter physics. What is that? Uh, so, what is that? It, more commonly uh, referred to it, or at least uh, um, a substantial part of that field as solid state physics. But um, uh, condensed matter physics also includes the behavior of liquids as well as solids. And so it's really about the the theory of 
you know, our matter in a sense, everyday matter, liquids, solids, um, what causes um, them to transition, phase transitions like water uh, becoming ice is an example of a phase transition. Uh, and the physics of those phase transitions can be very interesting and, and very challenging to model. You were still doing that into graduate school before you switched. Uh, going switched from, to what? Going Hang from on. that to climate, and that seems like a fairly big life change. What, what happened? Uh, well, um, I won't discuss the details of it. No, I, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I, I did have a bit of a crisis of scientific identity. I was about to spend the rest of my life um, working on uh, some fairly... Uh, arcane? Uh, obscure? Arcane weird? would be the right word. Arcane sort of problems in solid state physics. And it just wasn't exciting me. Um, and so I had this sort of crisis of scientific identity. Is this the way I want to be spending the rest of my life? And decided that I sort of needed to uh, consider my options, uh, look at what the other opportunities are out there for somebody like myself who had, you know, developed uh, math and, and physics um, knowledge and skills. Was there a problem that really excited me? where I could use the math and the physics that I had learned um, in theoretical physics. You met an academic colleague or professor who wanted you to work on this or something? Well, it was even more circuitous. In fact, I sometimes use the example of the self-avoiding random walk. Uh, random walk is a statistical model that you actually find in condensed matter physics uh, that describes sort of the random behavior of um, uh, you know, matter. Um, and uh, but like, it like, also, a, like a drunk person staggering around it, a, a lamppost? It's a drunk pole. person. Exactly. It's the, the drunk person uh, staggering around. And there's a version of it called the self-avoiding random walk. Um, again, a statistical model in physics where the drunk person sort of doesn't come back to the same place. Uh, he gets farther and farther. And, and I say he because only men are stupid enough to do this sort of thing. <laughs> I love um, you, man. Did I ever tell you I love you, man? I'm not walking back where I was a minute ago. I'm not right. walking back there. Right. No, Bill and I could, could tell some stories about this, but um, back to the, the, the history here. Um, I, you know, that, that's sort of a, um, a good model, I think, for sometimes our, our life paths and, and for the path that I took as a scientist, where I sort of was looking around for something really interesting. It, it couldn't be too far away. It had to make use of the skills and, and knowledge that I had, but it had to excite me. And I literally randomly leafed through the catalog at Yale. University um, to see what other sorts of science uh, was being done. So let's say I'm leafing through the catalog. What's the name of the thing that attracted? What's the name of the course uh, that attracted uh, you? I was looking at faculty um, and their descriptions uh, of the research that they did, and I for forget the name of this faculty member. But oh, that's uh, pretty could, convenient, doctor. Well, it is. You know, the the, the name of the innocent will be um, will be protected here. I um, did continue to leaf through the catalog, and I saw that there was a professor, um, who I will name, <laughs> Barry Saltzman, who was using math and physics um, to model Earth's climate. Uh, and he was in the Department of Geology and Geophysics. And so I went to talk with him. Um, 
we sort of hit it off. I decided to do my summer research with him that year and stayed on to do my PhD with Barry Saltzman, um, modeling Earth's climate. To me, it was the biggest, most complicated physics problem one could ever hope to take on. And that's what was so appealing to me. And of course, it isn't strictly just a physics problem because there's chemistry in here, there's biology in here. Um, and in fact, if we talk about the larger issue of climate change, well, then you're talking about policy and economics and, and ethics and everything else. But in the mid-1990s, I'm beginning to finish up my uh, dissertation, my PhD research. This is exactly the time when there was a consensus emerging within the scientific community. Uh, in fact, it was the 1995 uh, IPCC report, uh, the uh, second assessment report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, 1995. Which is, which is part of the United Nations, right? which is, uh, operates under the auspices of the United Nations, absolutely. And it's literally thousands of scientists around the world assessing you know, the, the literature, um, assessing our state of knowledge about the issue of climate change. Right, so and, the, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, or that, IPCC, right. exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and it was about that time when the IPCC first came out with the conclusion that there was now, and, and I'll quote it very specifically, a discernible human influence on our climate. That was the sort of key sentence in the summary for policymakers of the 1995 second IPCC report. And so this was, as I'm finishing my PhD, is when the larger scientific community is coming to a consensus that human-caused climate change, you know, is here. We can see it. 24 and, years ago. Well, that's the irony, isn't it? Uh, individual researchers had sort of sounded the alarm decades earlier. Uh, and in fact, ironically, in ExxonMobil's own internal documents back in the 1970s, their own scientists, remember ExxonMobil went on to fund this um, disinformation campaign to, to, to debunk the science of climate change because it threatens their bottom line um, or continued uh, reliance on fossil fuels. But their own scientists back in the mid-1970s um, and in one of the internal documents that's now in the public domain, and, and this is a quote, um, the impacts of climate change could be catastrophic. That's ExxonMobil's own scientists in an internal document in the 1970s. 1977 is the way I recall it. That is exactly right. And But this, there's an important lesson here is how conservative the scientific community really is. When you talk about these assessments, be they the IPCC scientific assessments or the National Academy of Sciences assessments, they are by their nature extremely conservative because they are a scientific lowest common denominator. What all of these scientists with varying viewpoints and various, varying approaches um, uh, can agree upon, and it tends to be a very conservative conclusion. So whereas individual scientists were determining decades earlier that we are probably seeing human caused warming. It took until the mid-1990s for the community collectively to say, yeah, to that, agree, that's happening. To agree on language. And when you say exactly. conservative, you don't mean politically conservative. You mean, uh, let's, not, let's not overstate this. Yeah, reticent. Let's, reticent. let's, let's call it reticent, so exactly. He, so along this line, I think we have uh, Jacob on the line. We have a caller that will ask, I think, a, a question that ties right in here. Great. Right. Jacob, are you there? Yeah, I am. Okay, Thanks Jacob, uh, welcome to Science Rules. Uh, where on earth are you calling from? 
I mean, not where on earth, but, you know, where on earth? <laughs> Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. Great. Uh, and uh, how's the weather, not the climate? How's the weather there right now? Oh, it's pretty chilly right now. We've got probably about half a foot of snow. We all know that weather and climate are two separate things. Uh, what, is, what is your question? You have a question for, for Dr. Mann? Yeah, so my question is, what are some strategies for conversing with skeptics about climate change? Well, th- thanks for the question, That's Jacob. Question. And yeah, it's a great question. And, and by the way, as Jacob describes the conditions uh, up there, snowy and cold, um, clearly that disproves all of what we're talking about here today. Um, You're being ironic. Is... <laughs> hey, everybody, Dr. Mann is, is being ironic. Yeah, they can't see the, yeah. uh, they, they can't see the flashing uh, irony light going off right yes. here. Doot, doot. Hashtag snark. Um, so the um, you know and 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 it's relevant to your question. In fact, my my uh, glib uh, comment there because uh, we do hear those sorts of claims, right? A cold day in Peoria somehow discredits two hundred years of uh, basic physics and, and chemistry, the greenhouse effect. Uh, in, in of course that's absurd, um, but it's an example of how we sometimes are dealing with arguments that are not entirely made in good faith, and, and so that's the first thing in in my view and. My approach is to first determine, is this person coming to me um, legitimately skeptical? And remember, skepticism is a good thing in science. Uh, Our friend Carl Sagan wrote eloquently about how um, skepticism is the self-correcting machinery that guides science towards uh, a better and better understanding of the natural world. It's a critical thing, but it has to be objective. And when skepticism is applied selectively, Um, which is to say uh, by rejecting the overwhelming consensus of the world's scientists based on the flimsiest of arguments that don't hold up to the slightest bit of scrutiny, well, that's not skepticism, is it? It's contrarianism or outright denial. But to Jacob's point, you confront these people all the time. Yeah. So you got to figure out where are they coming from? Are are, are they legitimately skeptical? Um, And and if that's the case, if they just are misunderstanding the facts, then talking about the facts um, uh, can make a difference. But more often these days, what we encounter is sort of contrarianism that is ideologically driven. It's not really about the facts. Um, There's cognitive dissonance. They sort of know that it's, it's real. They know that the science is there, but it, it, it threatens their ideology, you know, if they're against government regulation and they think that, uh, you know, regulating carbon emissions or acting on climate is going to sort of uh, threaten their sort of political principles um, of, you know, small government uh, and uh, that regulation is a bad thing, then that sort of forces them into a corner where they're sort of, you know, forced to deny the problem. Adding to that is the fact that many of their opinion leaders, um, right, now in you know the the conservative world um, have adopted almost as part of the official identity of the party that uh, climate change is a hoax and you can't be a loyal foot soldier without sort of agreeing with that tribal you know belief right so Jacob do you you must encounter these people that's why you brought it up is that right that's right uh, various times. Throughout my life, I've been confronted by a couple people. Definitely. And, and, yeah. and how have those conversations got, gone? Have you ever walked away feeling like you actually changed somebody's mind? Um, not really. That's the, <laughs> I guess that's the difficult thing. Right. 
Yeah, we know that feeling. Uh, just to sort of finish the thought that I'd begun there, or the, the comment. Uh, so, I mean, if it is about ideology, then maybe, Jacob, you're not the right person to be talking to them. If this friend of yours or family member or whoever it might be is sort of has libertarian beliefs or conservative um, uh, beliefs and, and, and doesn't like regulation and, and, and thinks that this issue that climate change is somehow a concern of uh, the extreme environmental left, well, then maybe you might want to, you know, uh, make him uh, or her aware of the fact that, um, you know, actually the national security community considers climate change a major threat. They see it as a, a threat multiplier. Um, there's a linkage with international terrorism. ISIS grew out of um, a, an environment uh, that was uh, impacted by an unprecedented drought in Syria. Uh, so talking about it in a different way, getting them to understand that, you know, this is an issue that actually conservatives and progressives alike should, should care about. It's a problem for national security. It's the biggest threat to the global economy. There's no bigger threat to our economy than the already uh, disastrous impacts that climate change is having. Um, unprecedented wildfires out west in California, unprecedented superstorms, the flooding of uh, Houston and North Carolina, the uh, perpetual inundation now of Miami Beach simply by high tides. Um, we are seeing the damaging effects of climate change already and sometimes helping them connect the dots and realizing it's not about saving polar bears up in the Arctic. It's not just that. Uh, I do want to sort of save, um, uh, you know, I do want to preserve the beauty and wonder of, of, of this world for uh, my daughter and, and future generations. So it is about that, but it's about much more. It's about impacts, already damaging impacts on us today where we live. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, the single biggest reason to worry about the climate is us. Uh, so, so Jacob, I, I hope that I hope that helps. And thank you so much for for asking that question. That really helped us get to the right place here. Here's uh, my problem with libertarianism. You've got a problem with libertarianism? Yes. I, I always thought of you as like a big libertarian, Bill. No. <laughs> the problem is everybody doesn't start on the same starting line. That's sort of fundamental. I mean, if you're born poor, your life is quite different if than if you're not. And uh, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is okay if you have a certain, if you have certain toeholds to start with. Toeholds and bootstraps, it's all in there, Corey. Yeah. But that this is so obvious to me and not other people is a, is a chin stroke. But with that said. Science Rules will be right back. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. 
Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You're listening to Science Rules. So, Michael, you, you know, you have this this book out, I guess it's out in paperback now, that The Madhouse Effect. Uh, right. Uh, I feel like you're, you're kind of leading up to that. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what you mean by The Madhouse Effect and, and how we deal with it. Oh, sure. Well, let me read you a quote about uh, the Madhouse Effect. If you are not concerned about climate change yet, please read this book. If you are unaware of the hardcore deniers among us, read this book. If you are a climate change denier, doubter, techno-fixer, or lukewarmer, read this book. Man and Tolls, that's Tom Tolls, the Washington Post uh, cartoonist who was my co-author, have written some words and drawn some pictures for you, so maybe you'll get it this time. Um, that was the <laughs> quote from the wonderful Bill Nye, the science guy. Um, that's so. a, little, a little incestuous there. That was what you call a blurb. Or in the biz, we call it log rolling, where <laughs> one person <laughs> rolls a log for the next person. Uh, but, but, right. uh, but, for, but for those of us out there who have not, uh, have not read and blurbed your book, uh, what, is yeah. the, what is the madhouse effect? Um, so, you know, simply put, um, it's the madhouse that we find ourselves in. And sometimes I, when I use that word, it, re- it reminds me of the... Uh, the great uh, film, the, the Planet of the Apes. Um, it's Charlton a madhouse. <laughs> <Right>. mad <laughs> In fact, I've used that meme on occasion yes. uh, on Twitter to <laughs> sort of drive home, you know, it, how crazy it is. And, and Bill's comment about the book speaks to that. How crazy it is that we're, you know, in it's the it's the. 21st century, the amazing technology that we have uh, locked into our little cell phones that have more power than the most powerful computer had just a couple decades ago. Um, we, the, the amazing things that uh, technology has brought us, and yet we're back in the Stone Age when it comes to accepting the lessons from the scientific community. We, 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 we have depended on the scientific community for all of the wonders of modern life, and yet sometimes for ideological reasons, we find people rejecting the overwhelming consensus of the, the scientific community, and that's where we are with climate change. Now, when we read the, wrote this book, when it, it was first published, that was fall 2016. It was before our last presidential election, and I could tell you, I had colleagues who were criticizing me, saying, why are you writing a book about climate change denialism? We're past all of that. You know, we're, it's now going to be all about solutions. Um, we've, we've gotten past the denial. Well, you know, and then we elected Donald Trump. Sorry, it's right? not funny, but it's funny. <laughs> well, it, it would be funny if it weren't so um, sad and terrifying because we literally have arguably right now perhaps the most powerful uh, person in the world, um, the, 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 the president of the United States, who is a climate change denier and an apologist for fossil fuel interests who are trying to, you know, basically uh, lead us and our policymakers and, and, and all of us astray when it comes to this, you know, maybe the greatest challenge we face, the, the challenge to avert catastrophic climate change. I'd love to go back to our, our callers here because we have some very engaged callers here. And uh, we, we have Emma on the line. Emma, are you there? I sure am. Hi. Uh, Emma, uh, welcome to Science Rules. Thank you. Where are you sitting, standing, pacing right now? Yeah, I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. How are you thinking about the world over there? Are, are you concerned about climate change? I sure am, actually. I'm a student. I'm studying public affairs. I'm a grad student. So my focus is on environmental policy. So um, I'm definitely worried about right. this. Okay. So you're thinking about it a lot. So, so what is your question there? 
Yeah. Uh, so climate change is, is such a complex issue. Um, so what, in your opinion, is the single most important thing we can do right now to alleviate the pressures from climate change? Well, th- thanks so much for the question. It's a great question. And by the way, I was going to ask, uh, what's the weather up uh, like up there in Madison right now? Um, it's actually starting to warm up, so we're about 60 degrees and rainy today. I see. So, you know, okay, those are we've got two locations right now. One of them was cold, but one of them uh, fairly warm. Um, and uh, and, and uh, not two different latitudes. No. Both, both in North America. No. Yeah. Right. So that's that's weather for you folks. And if you average over enough of it, over a large enough part of the earth, you get climate. Um, you get the average temperature of the earth, which is steadily rising. Um, so it's a great question. Uh, you know, um, the single most important thing that I think we can do, um, and it's become almost a cliche, but it's true, so I'll say it anyway, is to talk about it, to make sure that this remains uh, part of our, uh, you know, public discourse, uh, part of the conversations we have uh, daily with our friends and family members and and classmates and um, professors and what have you, uh, you know, that's that's important. And it's making a difference. Right now, uh, there was a poll uh, out of Iowa, and and they were polling uh, Democratic voters uh, who were likely to participate in the the Iowa caucus, I guess. Uh, But they were polling uh, Democrats in sort of this fairly middle of the road, Midwestern state of Iowa as to what are their main concerns? What are their uh, greatest priorities? Uh, Economy, I think, was number one. Uh, Number two was climate change. We've never seen climate change rank that high in any sort of major polling of either party, um, Democrat or Republican. Now, uh, let me ask you, uh, this is... um Emma, you're a young person. Yeah, you're in graduate school. Yep. Michael, would you say that climate contrarianism is age-related? Oh, it, it is. Um, there's a demographic that uh, uh, some of us here belong to, the you know increasingly older white male demographic, and, and that's overwhelmingly where it comes from, frankly, in my own experiences, um, which is good news because that demographic is, well, they're, they're moving along, um, and, uh, and they're being replaced by uh, younger um, folks who totally get it. But no, Emma, I'm curious. I mean, do you have an opportunity to talk to people who are, uh, I mean, if not skeptics, maybe you know people who just don't pay attention much to to climate as an issue? Do you have a, do you have a, an opportunity to talk to people, you know, friends, family, and 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 if so, you know, have you found those conversations helpful? Um, yeah, especially over social media now, uh, you really get that opportunity quite frequently to talk with people who don't necessarily agree with your beliefs. Um, I think it's helpful personally just because I can see what they think and kind of help shape what my my rebuttal would be, right, and be able to kind of figure out what they see as the main issue and how I can, like, tie climate change into that issue. But it's definitely helpful to talk with, with people with differing views. What do you hope to do when you get out of school? Uh <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I guess I would like to do communications for an environmental government organization. So my dream job would be to work at Department of Interior. So hear that, everybody. This is Emma. You are a young person. You got your life in front of you. What she wants to do is work for the public good. Public service. Is that a bad yep. thing? Is that old-fashioned? <laughs> That's great. I don't think so. <laughs> so uh, both of my parents 
were in World War II. Everybody in the whole country, everybody in the allies and every country among the allies was focused on winning this war. That's what everybody was doing. And they got it done in five years. Yeah. And so and nobody said, oh, you know, we need to uh, – I don't, I don't think the evidence is in. I think we really need to study <laughs> whether, uh, you know, whether, whether Nazi tanks are really rolling across Europe. Uh, was and, that – were those bombs in Pearl Harbor? Was that really – did that really yeah, happen? Honestly, aren't the people who study bombs paid by the bomb industry? And, and you know what else they weren't saying? They weren't saying, oh, you know, this is just too big of a problem. Right. Uh, it, oh, there's exactly. just no way. Yes. There's just no way we can do this. <laughs> that was not our – it's never been our identity, our approach. By our, you mean the United States? Yeah, well, uh, absolutely. You know, what, what's happened and to that can-do spirit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, no, as well, but, our friends to the north. No, but really, what, ha- what happened to that can-do spirit, right? So we're going to bring it back, Mike. You're right. going to be the guy. Well, and, and Emma, thank you so much for not just for calling in, but, but for for choosing a path of really trying to trying to help everyone, trying to give back, uh, which is a, a great well, place to be. Not just give back. She'll make Absolutely. a living and she will affect the future and change the world. This is all good. That's, that's what we're trying to do yep. here. Michael, you, you encounter a lot of haters. You, I mean, you, you interact uh, with and absorb I would say a staggering amount of uh, of of hate from people who uh, who are not uh, you know who for whatever reason are are very you know anxious. Doctor Michael Mann, anxious or absorber, anxious or angry about about uh, about climate change and what you need to do in response to it. You mentioned earlier the the generational aspect. I'm wondering if some of that is a sense of you know an, an older generation resentful that their that their world is being. Uh, displaced or replaced uh, by younger people with different concerns, with a different a different agenda. Is do you think is that part of where the the anger comes from? Yeah, and just to draw an intergenerational linkage here, uh, my philosophy when it comes to dealing with uh, the haters um, is informed by uh, the uh, the words of uh, one Taylor Swift: um, "You shake it off." <laughs> <laughs> Right. You just, you know, you you develop a thick enough skin to realize, you know, the, the, it's silly, right? I mean, the, 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 the commentary, some of the commentary out there on social media, um, online is just silly. Um, and it's not especially constructive to engage the haters. Um, uh, it's uh, much more constructive to ignore that and focus on the overwhelming majority of the people who want to do the right thing. Many of them are confused either about the science of climate change or think it's just too hard that we can't do it. And that's really the demographic, if you will, that I target in much of my uh, outreach efforts, my communication is that the, I ignore that fringe, very small percentage of the the, the population whose heels are dug in, um, they are proactive in their denial of climate change um, and their attacks on uh, the science and the scientists. They're a small, tiny and shrinking fraction of the population. And we could expend uh, way too much time and effort and resources trying to bring them along when they're not going to be brought along. Their heels are dug in. Let's focus on, again, the vast majority of the population who are not ideologically opposed to the idea that climate change is real. Um, but many of them are confused uh, about, you know, how much of a threat it really is and what they can do about it. And we can help them along. Speaking of what we can do about it, there are a lot of people, it seems to me, who uh, want to take a shortcut. 
I'm talking about our good friends in geoengineering. Oh, yeah. I believe you have a thing, a thought or two about geoengineering. Is that, that's me or Bill? Both of you. But, but for, yeah. for those not familiar, geoengineering is the idea that, that we can, that humans can deliberately take uh, sort of technological projects to affect Earth's climate to undo some of the effects of global warming. Uh, yeah. and, 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 and not in a subtle way, right? Giant, we're going to change the climate of the whole planet. Here we go, by pushing this button. Right. Well, you know, to give you an idea of my views on this, the chapter in The Madhouse Effect on geoengineering is entitled uh, Geoengineering or What Could Possibly Go Wrong? And that's really the point here, right? We are... We are manipulating, uh, uh, talking about the manipulation uh, at the planetary scale, an unprecedented, uncontrolled, uh, global scale planetary intervention with a system we don't understand perfectly. Um, and uh, the great Wally Broker is a great climate scientist and he was also uh, an important uh, communicator to the public. He unfortunately passed away uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, he used to say, you know, the climate uh, is an angry beast and we are poking it with sticks. And I think that is sort of a good you know, way of thinking about this. Um, all of a sudden, you know, that, that, that angry beast um, uh, will turn around and attack you if you're not careful. There's a proposal, for example, to shoot, what is it, uh, hydrogen sulfide, some sort of uh, sulfate. Right. Yeah. Yellow powder into the sky, right. which will reflect sunlight. And then <laughs> I presume yeah. the stuff will fall back to Earth sooner or later. And then what if you start doing that? And cool the earth off uh, won't – what happens if you stop doing it? And also if you're blocking sunlight, pick a number, 1%, wouldn't that affect crops? Wouldn't that affect it, food production? Absolutely. And, and here's the scary thing. There was an article that came out in one of our leading journals, uh, Nature Climate Change, one of the nature journals uh, by a group of scientists. That's the Carrie Emanuel paper? Carrie Emanuel is a co-author. Okay, uh, Carrie yeah. Emanuel is a good friend and a, and, a, and, and a very respected colleague. And he's a co-author on the article, I, I think because of his expertise on uh, hurricanes. And, mm -hmm. and they wanted that was one of the things that they were looking at. Um, uh, but um, I'm a bit skeptical about the larger claim and messaging in the article. Uh, it basically claims that geoengineering, um, you know, blocking out a certain amount of sunlight uh, through, for example, injecting these uh, sulfate aerosols, as Bill was describing, into the stratosphere, mimicking what a volcanic eruption does, um, the same way that a volcanic eruption blocks incoming sunlight and cools down the planet. Um, and they were argued that if you, you did that in conjunction with a low, uh, decreasing carbon emissions, you know, that uh, you wouldn't see that many bad uh, effects. Well, that was just one modeling study. Um, they used one particular metric for evaluating the effects. And it turns out they were treating the problem as if you're simply turning down the dial on the sun. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about injecting chemicals into the stratosphere that are going to interact with the stratospheric chemistry and might worsen ozone depletion and might, uh, by the way, uh, uh, worsen uh, acid rain uh, as well. And here's the real problem. Um, if you rely on simply trying to reduce the solar heating of the planet and you allow CO2 to continue to build up, you will continue to literally acidify the ocean, dissolve the coral reefs, which are already at the current rate, they will be gone in a matter of decades. The Great Barrier Reef is already um, hanging by a thread. Um, and that 
problem will continue to get worse. You'll continue to acidify the ocean. And here's the thing. It's a crutch, right? Because if you start saying, well, you know what? We can simply inject more and more of these aerosols into the stratosphere um, to block out more and more sunlight to offset the building up of CO2 in the atmosphere. Um, it's sort of like climate methadone, and it's a great excuse <laughs> for polluters, right? It's a great excuse for polluters right. to say, oh, well, you know, we can just solve the problem this way. So well, let's proceed with business as usual, burning of fossil fuels. And as Bill mentioned, one of the problems, of course, um, is if all of a sudden you're forced to kick that addiction. <laughs> um, let's say we have a, a, a war that breaks out and uh, the infrastructure for doing this geoengineering is damaged or destroyed. Then we get back in, in a period of a few years, all of that warming that right. had been hidden by the increase in uh, these uh, aerosols, these uh, sun-blocking aerosols. And uh, so you want to talk about rapid climate change? Uh, we would have climate change that, uh, you know, so rapid that there is absolutely no analog in the entire geological record. Okay. So geoengineering is not uh, this great uh, cure-all. The question is, you know, what is? So let's, I want to bring in another caller. We have uh, David yeah. on the line. Uh, David, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Okay. Oh, welcome to the show. And uh, where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from Huntingdon in England. In, in England. We're doing a weather census uh, of each of our callers. What's, what is the weather like where you're calling from? Uh, we actually have weather warnings at the moment for uh, storms and flooding. Oh, dear. Uh, it's actually mm. pretty miserable outside right now. Mm. So uh, it's raining. Is it, does it flood in that area often? Um, it, it does. So we're actually in, in quite a flat part of the country. So there is quite often some flooding. Uh, what they're predicting is, is much more serious flooding than you, you would normally get. So that mm. there's, there's areas around here which are set aside to contain floodwaters because it's a common thing. Mm. But those are, are less and less adequate. Right. So, so, David, what is your question? Um, I'm, I'm guessing that this, this might be uh, somewhat, somewhat related to what's on your mind. Yes. Um, well, my question really is, um, is it too late to prevent really serious damage because of climate change. Um, I mean, I just talked about the, the, the flooding we had. We actually yeah. recorded the hottest winter temperature ever in yeah. the UK, uh, 20.8 degrees centigrade or 69.4 degrees Fahrenheit in uh, Port Maddox in Gwynedd in Wales, which is um, extremely warm for that part yeah. of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, so it goes right to the heart of the, uh, this question. Um, we're already seeing uh, unprecedented, uh, uh, disastrous, uh, extreme weather events. Um, the wildfires in California, the unprecedented floods in the U.S. Um, and in Europe and, and Japan this last summer, unprecedented heat waves, including Europe this last summer, um, uh, another uh, near record heat wave um, uh, in, you know, uh, over a period of a couple decades that has seen, you know, all time records for, for heat uh, all around uh, Europe uh, broken. Um, and so there is this pattern, this pattern of um, in increasingly uh, damaging extreme weather events that uh, we know is aggravated by climate change. And the science is still you know, being worked out. And our, our own research has demonstrated that the 
current generation climate models that are used for many of the projections of climate change impacts don't actually resolve some of the important atmospheric processes that may describe how climate change is causing these unprecedented uh, extreme weather events. So if anything, our model projections are probably underestimating the role that climate change is playing uh, with these extreme weather, yeah, these very damaging but, extreme weather events. Yeah. But here's the thing, Mike, and here's the thing, uh, David. We do know that it's cli- that it's humans that are causing it. Yeah. Like, just think if this stuff was going on, if it were flooding where you are, David, uh, these extreme events that we've had out west in North America and the floods in uh, the southern part of the United States, just think of all that was going on and we didn't know what was causing it. That would be right. really troubling. So, right. David, you have to be optimistic. This is to say... I don't say you, we ignore what's going on. It's just that we have to be optimistic in order to solve these problems. If you go into any sort of problem with the predisposition that it cannot be solved, that you'll never get there, then you won't solve it. And you, David, as a good British citizen, must recall the extraordinary effort that uh, Britain went through to resolve World War II, especially yeah. in Europe. So we can do this, man. Right. Let's go. By some measure, dangerous climate change has already arrived. Um, if, you, if you're Puerto Rico, if you're California, if you're Houston, if all around the world, dangerous climate change impacts uh, have arrived. And so it isn't a binary thing. It isn't like, uh, well, you know, we, uh, we have to um, keep the warming below, you know, this amount or we get dangerous climate change. By some measure, we're already get, getting dangerous climate change. And it's simply a question of how much further down this carbon emission highway we're willing to go because the further we go down that highway, the worse and worse it gets. What we need to do is find the, the, the nearest exit. And if we miss the one and a half degree Celsius exit, we still go for the two degree Celsius exit. And if we miss that one, we still go for the 2.5 exit. Stick around for more science rules after this. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Science Rules is back. I want to get to a caller, Corey, that's going to ask oh, yes. a cl- about a classic climate issue. Cameron, are you out there? Uh, hi. Cameron, you oh. have a question. Hello, Cameron. Oh, yeah. And yes. where are you calling um, from, Cameron? Where are you calling from? Actually, I'm calling from the most appropriate place, uh, Washington, D.C. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Just. Let me uh, give you the climate or the weather breakdown for us. All week, it's been bouncing between 30 and 70 degrees. <laughs> Fahrenheit, between freezing and pretty warm yep. day. Right. This, this, yep. this is why this exactly. is why looking at climate as a as a long term global phenomenon is really really different than looking at you know t- you know trying to gauge what's going on in the whole world from today's weather right here where you happen to be sitting. So my colleagues and I we've gone back and forth on this a few times trying to figure out this question, so I am so excited that I get to ask the panel this. What's more damaging to Earth's climate, fossil fuels or cow farts? 
Uh, before you go off on, on Cal Farts, I just want to remind everybody, it's a charming thing, and the conservatives love to deal with it, but it's actually cow burps. Right. It's actually coming out the front of the cow, not the back. Is sort of fundamental. If you're going to address a problem, it's good to know <laughs> which end it's coming from. But yeah, with they, that they, said— There is something telling that the people don't know which end of the cow they're dealing with, but, yeah, so, but that's, that's, a whole, that's a whole other issue. So, Mike, Dr. Mann, right. which is there— is it a, a worthy thing to ask which is worse? Take it, Mike. Yeah. So, um, so as Bill said, it's you know the much maligned cows um, are actually belching that uh, methane, and there is a lot of misinformation out there, um, and and they're you know genuinely concerned people uh, who you know um, who you know well intentioned who have been misled by some of the the bad information out there. In particular, there was a film Cowspiracy um, uh, some years ago that uh, uh, falsely claimed that the majority of our carbon emissions come from animal agriculture, from livestock. And it's just not true. Uh, it, it's, you know, somewhere between 10 to 15 percent uh, globally. Which of our is carbon not emissions. nothing. That's not it's nothing. It's not nothing. Exactly. So, you know, there, there's no silver bullet is, is the bottom line. Now, two thirds of those carbon emissions are burning fossil fuels for energy and transportation. That's the lion's share. That's what we want to, you know, obviously focus on the most. But we need to look at every sector of society because there are carbon emissions that arise from pretty much everything we do. And agriculture is part of it. And land use is part of it. And food choices are part of it. It's great if people want to make, you know, uh, changes in their diet that are more carbon friendly. In many cases, they make us healthy. Healthier. There are no regrets. We should be doing them anyways. And that's true for lots of actions that we can take. These voluntary actions are important. But ultimately, if we want to solve this problem, we need a price on carbon and we need to get away from fossil fuels as quickly as we can. All right. So, so Cameron, I think you have a, a nice, clear answer there. Uh, if you have to choose which is the, the bigger issue, fossil fuels or cow burps, uh, start with fossil fuels. You start, where the, you start with the biggest slice of the pie. Thank you. So, uh, Mike, I don't know if you know this sound. Oh, that's not a, like a thunderstorm. Well, that's well. because we're coming on the lightning round. Oh, uh oh. So, are you ready for the lightning round, Doctor? Oh, I, su- I suppose so. Gee, okay, I, 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 here we I, I, go. I'm sitting down. Do you drive an electric car? Sort of. Uh, you drive a hybrid. Hybrid. Uh, why did you choose that? Um, because it's carbon friendlier and um you know I, I think it sets an example for others plus you get 40 miles to the gallon for crying out I loud do. You i do i do it gets fuel. better absolutely it's win win do it, you it have is. do you have a favorite ocean current oh uh the gulf stream of course yeah that, that's a classic dr man are you a vegan um, I am not from the, the, the system, the Vega system, if that's what you're asking. Um, do you eat uh, meat? Um, so I do not eat meat. I'm not vegan. Um, I have chosen to be pescatarian. You eat fish. I, I do. And each of us has to find that comfort level. And that's, 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 uh, but all of us can do better. And, and that's my effort to, to get away from meat at least. Um, and the and fish, I keep it to fish, the fish you eat is, are, are native to Western Pennsylvania? 
yes, uh, we find them in the sewers, actually. These are bottom-feeding fish that I catch myself with my bare hands, um, and I just bite the heads off, and, and <laughs> you're going to edit this out, right? Uh, okay. there's nothing, nothing, nothing better than a nice, fresh fish. Uh, if I gave you a, a magic time machine, I said, hey, you can go, you can travel, you know, 100 or 200 years in the future and see how we've dealt with the problem or not dealt with the problem. Uh, would you want to go? Would you feel good about making that? Let's say it's a one-way trip. Okay, and and I don't get to choose my future among um, uh, multiple uh, potential futures. Get, I just you, have to. Take... You, you get to jump ahead and see how the world actually dealt with it. Do you think you're going to be seeing a good world if you jump ahead uh, a uh, century or two? I do. I'm 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 an eternal optimist. Um, it's what keeps me going through some of the tougher times. Is is the, I'm I'm driven, um, you know, by a strong belief that, you know, when confronted with massive challenges, we've, we've risen to the occasion in the past. We talked about some of those examples. We will do it here. Um, and, and, and part of why we'll do it here is of course, you guys getting that message out to the public, um, making a real difference in these kids making a real difference. I think we are seeing action. I think we're seeing a turning point in the nick of time. It, it, literally in the nick of time. Right on, Dr. Man. Let's get out there. Thank you so much for taking the time. Let's get out there, everyone, and dare I say it, change the world. Thank you so much, Dr. Michael Mann from Penn State for being our guest today. Thank you, guys. It was total pleasure. Uh, uh, it was great you. having you here, and uh, thank you, Bill. Oh, thank you, Corey. Oh, yes. I'm Bill Nye. I am Corey S. Powell. And remember, when it comes to the climatological part of our universe, science, science rules. So, listeners, if you have questions, and I hope you do, if this episode just seemed just too short and you want to get your question in, call us and leave a message and we will do our best to answer it. Call 201-472-0785. If you like science rules, I hope you do. Please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out, helps us understand who's listening and helps us improve the show and it helps people like you learn about the show so they too can listen. Thank you. Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. Mixing and original theme music were by Casey Halford. Special thanks to Claire Rawlinson. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer of Stitcher. And at Stitcher, Science Rules. Stitcher. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.